So what if instead of focusing on trying to figure out alcohol, you tried to figure out yourself. You learned how to do all of the things that you think alcohol is doing for you, but better. You tapped into really understanding what the messages from your body meant and how to use your emotions to your advantage and how to really expand your desires to get what it is you finally really want and have real, lasting, sustainable pleasure. That is possible for you, and it is all available to you in the self-study course, The Naturally Sober Woman. It is everything that I teach my one-on-one clients, but it is compact for you, lifetime access on demand at a super affordable price available to you right now. You're going to go to my website, marywagstaffcoach.com, right there. It'll say self-study course or follow the link in the show notes right here. Get in there. One short video, just the welcome ceremony. There's a commence, a beautiful commencement ceremony that really anchors you into your intention for wanting to make this change into your life will change your life forever. It'll put you on a trajectory of new possibility because the bigger your desire is, the easier it's going to be to say goodbye to alcohol. So go on over to my website, get inside of the Naturally Sober Woman, and I will see you in there. who ended a 20-year relationship with alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. In this podcast, we will explore my revolutionary approach to quitting alcohol that breaks all the rules, amazing stories from women who are throwing a better party because of it, and how you can stop drinking and start living. This show is not a substitute for rehabilitation, medical treatment, or advice, so please talk to a health professional if your alcohol consumption is a risk to your mental or physical health. Now on with the show. Welcome back, my beautiful listeners, for another episode of Stop Drinking and Start Living. I am thrilled to be showcasing the beautiful Queen Connie McMillan today. She is a true inspiration. She is was uh, deemed the sober queen by her sister, and she took it and ran with it. And the thing I love most about her story is the truth that miracles are possible. And really, when we shift our perspective into any situation, that is what creates a miracle. Um, but she has like a real, real beautiful, crazy miracle. And now she's out helping other Kings and Queens on their journey of sobriety and just really next leveling their life and showing up with the essence of God and her creator of source by her side. And, um, Connie, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being a queen in the world, for being an example of what's possible and for sharing your story with us today. And before I get onto the interview, I just wanted to talk about one of the pillars of coaching that I work with. So I think that if you've been listening for a while, you know that I am a holistic life and alcohol coach. So I work with my clients, mind, body, heart, and spirit. We use the mind as the tool to create 
the desires of the heart to really manifest that how we want to really live in the world and so it's kind of a process of working backwards and unraveling the layers of story and conditioning and limiting beliefs and labeling created by the world like all the things that we didn't really sign up for um, but we've lived into and we kind of get to this place where it's like you know what alcohol is now a a thing that's no longer working for me and I really want to explore and see what's possible and live into possibility of the future rather than just thoughts of a limiting past. But one of the pillars that I really start working with is this idea of loving what is and that as long as our basic needs are met, can you look at everything else as a bonus? It's when we get caught up with our measure of success being the conditioned outer world, right? There's all of this striving and purpose and next leveling. And my invitation is that we measure our success in joy. And from that place, we can achieve and accomplish other things that end up being a bonus to our lives. We have everything in this moment that we need to survive. And in this moment, we have the choice and the capacity to experience joy and happiness. And we will never be whole, total, or fulfilled if we're always striving for the next best thing and missing what's right in front of us because as we've been shown so drastically with this pandemic that the future is a story yet untold so if we're always living there and we're never satisfied with the moment then we miss out on the magic of our lives of the opportunity to take a cathartic breath to relax, to look at the clouds, to see the sun, to understand our process as being part of an integral whole, to expand our awareness outside of the wrapping and the trappings of the ego, right? We got to get out of that place, out of being the center of the universe. We, we create the universe from the center, but we are a piece of all of it. And so every moment holds the capacity for us to experience abundance, joy, and love. The earth of, in and of herself is innately abundant. Everything else is a construct. And remember that wherever you go, there you are. And that you take your mind with you. So it doesn't matter if you, you know, have 10,000 followers on Instagram or you buy that dream house or you find your soulmate if in this moment you can't experience joy and happiness then that thing outside of you won't create that for you it might have a momentary um, false pleasure but your thoughts and that conditioned patterning will go with you you don't buy a new car and all of a sudden your limiting beliefs about your self-worth are gone, right? It's a momentary buffer, if you will. So it just, just like alcohol, it 
it's a momentary pleasure fix. But all, but all of the conditions, all of the beliefs are just right there waiting for you when the newness fades. So my invitation for you, my beautiful listeners, over this next week is to just see what can you lean into of what is. Ask yourself, are my basic needs met? And then what else is a bonus to your life? And lean into that for inspiration. Show up for that. And maybe the desire to run away from your emotions by drinking will start to fade because you'll realize you have everything that you need. And by being clear and present with that through not drinking, you can actually experience the fullness and the abundance of your life already just as it is. Enjoy the interview. Have a wonderful day. I would love, love, love to talk to you if you're ready to take the next step in starting to unravel your mind and your relationship with alcohol, which is just a reworking through observation. So I work one-on-one live with individuals weekly through coaching where we really start to unravel the process together because sometimes it's getting yourself to do that work on your own that does take some some discipline and real really a commitment. But when you have the accountability of a coach on the other end, you get to start to expedite the process and really bring those thoughts and those conditioned um, beliefs to the surface so you can so that they can start to lose their power. Have a wonderful week. Go to the website, marywagstaffcoach.com, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Welcome back, beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here for another inspired episode of Stop Drinking and Start Living. I am so thrilled to have another one of our inspired guests on today to not only share her story, but to share of the amazing work that she is doing in the world. So today we have on beautiful queen, Connie McMillan. Connie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to get to meet you and know your story a little bit more and just to have you share your offerings with with the audience. So thanks so much for being here. How are you? Thank you. I am great. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly, truly humbling. Thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. Um, so Connie, I like to start out by just having our guests kind of give us their personal bio of themselves. So just tell our audience a little bit about what you're up to in the world today and the magic, the queen magic that you're spreading. <laughs> oh, well, today is different from the past. Well, today I'm definitely helping queens see themselves as queens, you know, putting away the old thinking, you know, those negative thoughts that we've had, you know, especially when we were drinking, right? We thought different things, we allowed different experiences to come our way because we just didn't know it. So these days, I'm literally teaching queens that you are purpose, not pain. Uh, through my book, through my podcast as well, uh, through speaking engagements, through one-on-one trainings, um, it's truly, truly an honor. I know what it is to walk that life, and if I can help in any way so that queens can live their purpose, um, I want to be able to do that. I love that so much. Thank you. And it's such an amazing gift. Like we were saying a little bit before the call that it's really a gift to be able to share, to use your story and to use your journey to now help lift up others and, you know, guide them along to find that same inner strength because we all have that inside of us. And I think that we're really in this, in this new paradigm where 
it's not like, let me tell you how to do it, but it's like, let me help you find your way that's, you know, right. more authentic to yourself while right. without alcohol in a way. <laughs> um, so what, um, tell us, let's take a little bit of a journey for your, in your personal story of your drinking journey. Cause I do think that this really helps our, our listeners to kind of see how far in your queendom you have come. So tell us a little bit about your beginning relationship to alcohol. Well, I'll go really, really, really deep for you guys. So I was really young when I initially took my first drink. I want to say maybe, and I'm guessing here, don't quote me necessarily, maybe I was about 10 or 11 and my favorite uncle, uh, he's no longer here. He gave me a cup of wine, but told me that it was Kool-Aid. And I was like, this isn't Kool-Aid. Of course, after I tasted it, I remember my mom saying something like, you better not be giving my daughter no wine. And we laughed it off. And then I can recall, you know, years later, I want to say like in my early 20s, I took my first drink. And so from the time that I was about, you know, the age I spoke of, 10 or 11, um, to about early 20s, I suffered with low self-esteem. I literally did not love myself. I saw myself as, you know, dark and ugly, and I had crooked teeth at that time. I had gotten left back in second grade. So I was battling with just these inner demons, if you will. Um, it wasn't as if my family, you know, co-signed that. They would tell me things like, you know, you're a beautiful black girl. And it was just me not believing in myself. So I remember I went out drinking with my two girlfriends and we went to Red Lobsters. I remember. <laughs> and um, we had these really tall cups and I was just all excited about these cups. And I remember taking my first sip. Once I took that first sip, it was like, it was like something opened up inside of me, like an awakening. I felt something that I had never felt ever in my life. And I did not want to lose that feeling. Uh, that was the start of my drinking. And, you know, from there, I just encountered different relationships. A lot of my friends, I was once married, my ex-husband and I drank. That was definitely the foundation of our relationship. Um, and I just saw alcohol as something to add value to me. Um, I found a way to mask the pain that I was going through. And so it became like, you know, my confidant. It, it became my everything. And um, not realizing that, you know, it comes across as that. It seems as though life is good. Not realizing over time, you will find out that alcohol is truly the enemy. It is not your friend whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it did come. <laughs> it came much later, but it did come. Mm, beautiful. It's so interesting. I'm so glad you said that the way you did, like something opened up inside of me. And I've thought about this parallel a lot because I know you talk a lot about spirituality um, in your journey and in your program, and I do as well. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's unique unto whoever, every individual has their own connection, I believe, with spirit. And there's no Absolutely. right or wrong way to do it. But it's almost like we're so confined by the outer world and society that you mm -hmm. almost do find that sense of permission to let go in the early stages of alcohol. Like it t does almost tap you into something of like, Oh, I don't have to live in these confines, but mm -hmm. then you realize, yes, it's the enemy. It's taking over and draining the life out of me. And then we yeah. tune into the real way to find self 
through yes. spirit, right? And it's like, Absolutely. it's a really interesting parallel because I had that very similar experience. And I find a lot of people do. It's like, oh, wow, it, it really makes me feel more mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm. for a short amount of time. But exactly. no, it, it's a false pleasure, you know? It is. It I love that you said that because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and we don't, we don't see it at first. You know, again, our friends are doing it. We're literally drawn to people. You're not even realizing it, but you're, you're really attracted to people that are literally hurting the way you are and masking their pain. You are who, you know, you attract who you are. And at that time you don't see it. I know I did it. And so it was like, you know, I, I remember I worked at this job and this is early on in my Christianity. Um, and I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to hang out with my coworkers. And it was, it was like the pressure, like, I guess in their eyes, I was uptight. So, you know, um, again, this is before I started drinking. So I must've been like, I don't know, like maybe, I don't know, 18, 19. And we had gone out and they were just like, maybe 20, I'm sorry. So we went out to after, after work for drinks. And initially I would say, no, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. So it was like $2 Tuesday or whatever, some, whatever happy hour, you know, invitation they had. And I would be like, no, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. And then over time I got worn down, you know? And again, it was just like, you have that drink and it just opens up something. Your friends start saying things like, you're amazing. This is why you need to have a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, in some people's eyes, it's like, you're, you're corny or you're boring. And then, you know, again, through pressure, you feel like, well, I've got to be accepted. So let me take a drink. Let me, let me heed to what my friends are saying or my family, whomever it is. And then you, you're put in this situation before you know it, it just, it, it ruins your life. It literally does. You, you start making horrible decisions. Um, you, you lose self and it's just really, it's really, really bad. But you know, I thank God that all that happened. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, ba- I'm not upset that it happened because it had to happen. I thank God I got through it. <laughs> Let me say that. Um, but it had to happen so that that breakdown had to come so I could really get to the root of the problem, which was self-esteem. That was the root of the problem. So at least I got to that. Um, I don't think I ever would have addressed that. You know, the drinking opened up me even, you know, putting myself in harm's way so I would go out with people under the influence it got to the place where you know I was like if that sometimes that wasn't enough so I had to impress people even more and I would buy these fancy clothes minks and red bottom shoes and it was just getting so crazy it was just like no matter what I did I was not satisfied I could not you know really find that happiness so alcohol didn't serve the clothes didn't serve so you do have to hit that rock bottom and it came it literally did come yeah i it's um it's great to point out to people that it's like no matter what you seek it's never the things outside of ourselves that are going to create that internal contentment we have to really do that work inside um so if you wouldn't mind sharing what um what was the kind of pivot point where you really realized like okay alcohol is just not the way anymore I mean, it was a number of things. So my mom was really sick. My mom was a functional alcoholic. So my mom died as a result to alcohol abuse, use, and dependency. So my mom was getting really sick. My sister was incarcerated. And I was just in a horrible marriage. But on the outside, I was making it seem as though we were just this perfect couple. That in itself is exhausting. 
So here I was getting hit from so many areas. And I'm telling you, I was, again, trying to mask it with alcohol, trying to mask it with clothes. I was giving out so much that I had nothing inside. And that's impossible. You can't give from an empty cup. You can't pour from an empty cup. So I'm giving here. I'm, you know, my mom was, as I said, was getting sick and she was missing my sisters. So there would be holidays because we're very, very family oriented. So, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're used to being around each other. So now I have to try to overcompensate so my mom wouldn't feel, you know, as depressed. I'm, you know, trying to get her mind off the fact that her firstborn child is not here at these beautiful celebrations. So I would, again, bring alcohol because it was a celebration. That's how we celebrated as a family. So, you know, other family members would come over. Of course, by the end of the night, we'd be drunk, twisted, and it would just be a hot mess. But that was our way of celebrating. And uh, so we did that a number of times. Again, the marriage, it was just, it was just going. I should have gotten out of that sooner than what I did. I stayed there five years. So it got to a point where, you know, my mom was literally on her deathbed and the marriage was dissolving, um, my sister not being present. And I just said to myself, girl, how many, how many more things have to happen before you're going to wake up and see that this is a problem? Mm -hmm. So um, I wind up, the, what happened first was I wind up getting a separation and then getting a divorce. So that was the first uh, part of, you know, getting a little bit of an awakening or making that step forward to really say, I need help. And then my sister wind up coming home from jail. Um, but things were very rocky, of course, because now she's not stable and we've got to, as a family, pull together and get her together. So that itself can be a lot mentally, emotionally. Um, my mom, again, be, still being sick. Then the second thing that happened was my mom passes away. So I'm like, this is just too much for me. This is like, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. Here it is, my rock, everything. And um, I literally, at this point, because I gotten the separation now, divorce, my mom's in, not, not really in the grave because that's a different story. The, during the time when she passed away, uh, the ground was just, it was frozen. It was in January. And so she had this, her body had to be in a mausoleum. So she couldn't even be buried technically. And I had moved out to New Jersey, where I reside now. And it was in that space. Now I'm alone. I'm away from everybody. All the noise is drowned out. Mm -hmm. And I always had a relationship with God. So it was in that space, that quiet space, that space where I could take responsibility for my actions regarding, you know, all of the drunk activities that I did. My, you know, my part that I played in the marriage, because I definitely played a part too. Um... I got that time to just spend with God and say to him, listen, I need you to help me. I need you to help me because this alcohol is going to kill me. I'm not going to be here. You know, this is not the way I want to live my life. So if you don't take the taste out of my heart, my mouth and my mind, and I was very specific because I knew I had to be specific. And I'm like that even with my clients. If you want something, you've got to verbalize it, right? Or whichever ways, if you want to write it out, but you can't like do the fluff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said my heart because I really did love the relationship we had. It wasn't good, but I loved it. My mouth, because that's where it went to. It went to my mouth. I can remember, you know, my taste buds getting all watery and all that, you know, so I knew then. And then 
my heart, my mind, my mind, because I thought about alcohol. I would sit back and say, you know what, um, what kind of events can I go to where alcohol could be there? Those were my thoughts. So I had to be specific when I said that. And that's what it was. You know, it wasn't like, you know, God just like said, okay, boop, you know, bling, you know, you're not going to drink again. It didn't, it didn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. It did not. But he did definitely step in. I believe that, you know, when you get honest with yourself, um, as I said, you can't do fluff. It happens, but it doesn't happen immediately, but it does come. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it did come in that space, in that environment. I had to get outside of Brooklyn because I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And I had to repent of a lot of things. I had to get me cleared. I had to confess a lot of things within myself. Mm -hmm. So the one particular night I'm in my home and I remember, you know, remember, even though I asked that and I asked God to do that, I'm still, the flesh is very weak. You're still going to want it. Your temptation is going to be there. So there was a liquor store, as there is on just about every corner. Um, I went to the liquor store, which I had done before. I can remember praying and asking God previously, you know, don't let me do this. Don't let me do this. And I want to just pause and encourage people, you know, whatever your method is, whoever your higher power is, mine is Jesus Christ. But don't give up on, you know, your, your reaching out. I said to be, you know, transparent and be uh, consistent and, you know, and, and be vulnerable. Yes. But don't think, don't let those signs be like signs of it's not going to happen. Just stay consistent in, in your way of doing things. So anyway, um, this particular time I went and got my regular that I normally get, which was long Allen iced tea. And uh, I came back to my house and I used to work in a bar at one time as well. So I did what we did at the bar and I put my glass inside the freezer, let it get a little frosty. Moments later, I pulled it out. I put the Long Island iced tea inside the glass and sat on my bed, had the remote in one hand, wine glass in the other, and took one sip. And this was probably from the, from the time I prayed to this point, it's, it's maybe like a week later, I'll, I'll give or take. And um, I'm sitting on my bed, I take one sip, and I begin to choke. Now, that had never happened in my life. I mean, I can swallow with the best, honey. So that never happened. So I'm wondering, like, why am I joking? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it went down the wrong pipe. Maybe I drank too fast. So I start coughing. I still have the remote in my hand. I still have the glass in my other hand. And moments later, I could breathe again. And I take another sip. And the exact same thing happened. And I recall dropping the glass, dropping the remote control, and just crying. For me, that said that God answered my prayer. And, you know, I knew that, again, that had never happened. Those, those instances had never happened. And I knew that I couldn't stop on my own. And I wasn't going to try a third time because I thought if I did that, I would just die. So I just was like, I heeded to the sign. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's what it was. I never picked up again after that. Wow. That's an amazing story. It's almost like when you take that took the personal responsibility, opened up and got clearer. Like you opened up that channel yes. to receiving the messages. And then like for that alignment inside of yourself, that queen mm -hmm. divine self to yes. hear the answer, to see the answer when it was there, you know? Because sometimes it's like the signs are there, but we don't want to see it. Right, you're absolutely right. Wow, that is an amazing, amazing story. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm just so proud of you. I just like get so excited for everyone that just heeds those signs and says no more and yes to me, you know, yes to yourself. Um, right. 
So from that place, what was a little bit of your journey getting now to where you're, where you're at working to support others? So it's, it's interesting you asked that question. So I can recall, again, just a little shortly after, you know, God answered my prayer. Um, at that point, as I said, remember I said I worked in a bar. So um, I had gotten fired from the bar, you all. And I got fired because, well, the owner tried to hit on me and I just, I wasn't, I wasn't advancing to his advances. Mm-hmm. And so I started my own business, my own bartending business at this point. So I was doing like baby showers, which was very uncomfortable. I didn't, even though I abused alcohol like crazy, I just didn't think alcohol should be in a baby shower. But I did it for the money. I'm not going to lie. So I was doing weddings, all different events I would just do. And so at this point, you know, now here I am in the room, I'm crying, I'm, you know, I'm thanking God and I'm just so receiving, as you said, I'm in alignment. And what I believe God said, now I need you to take the alcohol out of your beverage service. So I'm like, God, you want me to take the alcohol out of my beverage service? Like who's going to hire me for juice? So I'm like, that's not going to work. So he said it again, take the alcohol out of your beverage service and I'll take you places that you've never gone. And I'm like, okay, that's very unusual, but you're God, who am I? So I recall that was, this was 2012 when I started that business. Now this is fast forward to 2014 that I revamped the business and it was still cocktails with chocolate, but it was non-alcoholic beverage service. And I remember, and this is something I want I want the audience to understand. When you are doing something for you, you've got to understand that everybody won't understand it. Mm-hmm. So I remember I went to my sister and I said to her and her girlfriend at the time, I said, you know, I'm revamping my business. God said to take the alcohol out of your service. And they said, oh, girl, please, that business will never last. And I said, I'll, sh- I'll show you better than I can tell you. I had no clue what I was going to do, how God was going to show up, but I just was, I was believing him in faith. And so I revamped the business. I remember I took out like a little small pension loan and I got this room. I mean, I invited all people to come and it was free. It was free to come. And like maybe a couple of nights before, I'm like, God, what am I going to serve these people? How am I going to, you know, present like a sampling to them so they'll want to hire me for events? And he gave me two recipes in my mind. And I executed those recipes. Um, I gave them out as samples. I even had like little samples. uh, So I had beverage servers. And then I had like little one ounce cups. And then I was like, okay, well, God, I need something to sell if they really like it. I ordered some bottles. I got some labels done. I sold the bottles. I sold out everything that night. Well, that that event, $5 I was selling the bottles for. Had business cards. So how it was set up, just to give you guys a vision, I had different tables set up. So when you walked in the room, of course, you were greeted. You got your sample. And then you had the, um, you needed a visual to see, like, how my service could be useful to you. So I had, like, a wedding table set up. I had a graduation table set up and milestone birthday party set up. And, of course, we had, like, video shoots and stuff so you could take, like, beautiful pictures. And it was absolutely amazing. The mayor came out when I tell you it was televised or News 12. It was it was amazing. So I'm saying all that and being that specific because sometimes we don't understand how things are going to come about. But because I was obedient and I answered God's call to do it, 
I, of course, I didn't see that. I didn't know what was going to happen at that point. But sometimes you, you still have to act regardless of what you can't see. And it was because of that, I was able to now turn this into a business. I knew if I had to, you know, have this non-alcoholic beverage service, I couldn't be drinking. So I had to use integrity and, of course, be a representation of God. So that business, which it still exists today, that's my first baby. And then I would be at different events vending and people would say, well, what's the you know story behind your business? And of course, I would tell them exactly the story that I gave you all. And that's how, you know, the whole idea of a book came, the whole idea of coaching clients came. All of that was birthed just because I answered God. I'm, we have no idea what is lying on the inside of us when we just step out. It is very frightening. I will not sit here and say that it isn't. And I'm just going to pause or switch rather. When I was over in New Jersey, when I first came out to see the apartment, right? I'll never forget it. And what I love about God is he never forgets. So I remember looking for an apartment, as I said. Now I'm not with my ex-husband. I've got to start all over. It's just a mess in your head. But I know I need to get my own place. So I look on Craigslist. Again, this is 2012. And um, I'm like, I need an apartment. And of course, I go to my comfort zone, Brooklyn, because I don't want to go to New Jersey. I don't know anything about New Jersey. So I look under the section that says Brooklyn, and this beautiful apartment comes up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it has a sunken living room. When I was like maybe seven or eight, I recall saying we visited my aunt's apartment years ago, and she had a sunken living room. And I spoke out of my mouth. I'm going to have an apartment with a sunken living room one day. And here I was more than 20 years later looking at an apartment with a sunken living room. And that was something that I couldn't say no to. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then the price was, like, remarkable. So it was, like, $800. And I was like, or $850 something. And I was like, oh, let me call. And when I look at the number, the area code says 973. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Who's moving to New Jersey? I don't know anything about New Jersey. But the image, I couldn't get that out of my head. So I call the apartment, I call up the number of the apartment still available. And this is the point that I want to make. When I get to the apartment, it looks nothing like the image. The image was beautiful. Parquet floors, garden tub was immaculate. It was absolutely stunning. When I got there, it looked totally, it looked horrid, to be quite honest. And I later understood that what God was showing me was that was a representation of what I looked like. Mm -hmm. That apartment in disarray, that was me. The dull floors, you know, the, the bruised up garden tub, everything that that apartment represented at that time was what my life represented. Mm -hmm. So when I came, I wound up giving my deposit because I'm like, I'm just going to have to gamble here. And I gave the deposit and I moved in at during the first. When I came back to the apartment, of course, it was transformed into the image that I had saw earlier. Mm -hmm. And that was God showing me, I believe, this is where I'm going to take your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to understand. What we can't see, God can see, mm -hmm. right? A lot of the times we are, we get, we get so caught up in the questioning, how, the where, you know, what. We get caught up in that, that we lose sight that, God can do the impossible. So what is, you know, impossible for him, I mean, sorry, for us, is possible for him. So I'm saying that to say that even if your life looks crazy right now, you might be losing hope. You might be saying, you guys are on here, and I 
I like what you're saying, but how could it happen for me? Mm-hmm. I am telling you, rest in sure, we've been where you are, mm-hmm. and your life can be transformed. You've just got to believe it, you've got to take action, and you've got to definitely invest in your higher power, whomever that would be. Yeah, beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love these stories because it's so true and you have to show up. I was listening to something earlier and I wish I could remember the exact quote, but it was Eckhart Tolle, who's like a spiritual um, philosopher of sorts. You know, he talks about the power, his book is The Power of Now. And um, he's an interesting man, but he talks about the power of presence and the power of now. And he was talking about Jesus. I think he studies a lot of, you know, religious, um, spiritual teachers and it was something about the only thing that you need to remember, and it was a message, a quote, or a, you know, a passage that was pray. And you know, when you pray, the only thing you need to do is pray like you're believing that it will come true. Like you right. pray with the belief that it is going to happen. And that's then right. that's the energy that you start to swirl and create, and then you become that's it this vortex and this direct alignment for the powers that be. And I think it's just like, it really is true, you know, but you do have to believe it too. And you were in that faith place of, I asked for the prayer. (laughs) I prayed. I, it's showing up. I'm seeing the signs and I'm just going. And, and like the like thing I tell people too, is the worst that can happen Mm -hmm. is not, you're not going to be any worse off than you are if you that's amazing what a beautiful story and congratulations on that business it sounds it's that's so awesome I love that you were able to have a successful NA beverage business yeah that's just so cool um, I want to ask you a little bit about when you, you know, started saying, you know, you said no to alcohol, I love the like living in integrity. And I, I do this a lot where I kind of schedule things out that scare me. Like I just make the plan. I'm like, I'm doing it. And that way you have to show up. So it's like, yeah. you created this business. Now I have no choice, but right. to show up. Um, <laughs> but how, what, how did things go between like you and your family or the, like the rest of your life? Cause you had said that was some way that you guys got together a lot, you know, mm-hmm. through alcohol. And because mm-hmm. I know that's a big thing that a lot of people face is they start to change their relationship with alcohol right. and they have to kind of navigate their, the rest of the other relationships in their life. So what was your experience like with that? Well, well, of course, this is going to be a funny story for you all. So uh, I stayed in Jersey a lot, especially in the early stages of my sobriety, because you know, I'm still vulnerable. I'm still working through some things. So we kind of talked on the phone a little bit, especially early on. And I, I can't even give you a time frame as to how long that was. Um, but I know there were times when, you know, if there were going to be celebratory moments, I had to say what matters most to me, me being there or maybe just staying home. And I always chose me. Um, I, you, you can't be afraid to do that. So uh, here's the funny story. That wasn't the funny part of the story. So um, when I did get to the point where I felt comfortable enough and courageous, maybe we'll say, enough to say, um, you know, I can show up, but I know if something's uncomfortable for me, I can exit. Mm -hmm. So I remember there were times my sister, she still struggles actually with alcohol abuse, use and dependency. And she would say, put your alcohol away. The sobriety queen is here. Now, I didn't call myself this at any time. 
she gave me that name. And it was a repeated process. She just kept saying it, and I would laugh. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take that name. (laughs) And I embraced her joke. So I was just like, yeah, that's what that's going to be my name. And I would say that to you all. There may be a family member. There may be a friend who's kind of like using something as, you know, a way of, you know, teasing or just being negative. Turn that thing around to a positive for yourself. And um, and don't feel like you have to be present at, you know, certain social events. In my book, I talk about this as one of the tips, you know, like when you have experiences and you have to be at a social gathering and alcohol is present, how do you navigate that? And, you know, I'll give it away. <laughs> but, you know, because I have a business, of course, I would bring my own beverage. Now, you don't have to bring my cocktail, you know, non-alcoholic. You can come up, but I think it's important that you be prepared for, you know, for that environment. So show up with some cranberry juice or show up with, you know, whatever your favorite non-alcoholic beverage is. So if you have it in hand and you let them know, listen, this is mine. This is what I'll be drinking or show up with two and give them one. So you don't feel like you came empty handed, you know, but, you know, (laughs) but have something that you can, you know, pour in your cup. And again, if that pressure comes where, you know, you feel like everyone's just saying, oh, well, just have a sip, you know, exit. You don't have to, you're not obligated to anybody but yourself. And even with regards to someone saying, well, what happened with your story? I talk about this also in my book too. Like what happened? Like, why don't you drink anymore? And, you know, you've got to know your audience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to be clear on if people are just being nosy or if people are, if that's your suited audience to really serve and, and share with, right? And if we are not distinguishing the two, you can put yourself in a more vulnerable position that you're, that you're not quite ready for. So I had a, an experience like that happen. And I talk about it in the book. I'm not going to go too much into that. But I talk about that. And it is important that you understand how to do that with the two. Um, you're not here to be an advertisement if you're not up for that, right? I mean, someone like yourself and myself, we don't have any problem with that, but maybe you're not there yet. And that's fine too. My point here is if someone's asking you that, what happened with your story? You know, the relationship that you have with that person. Is that a person that, you know, that you just met? Is that a person that, you know, maybe you have meetings with at AA or at a different environment where they support, you know, um, sobriety, then you can share those experiences. You don't, you can share as much as you want. And if it's someone that you don't have that kind of relationship with, you can just, you know, you have the right to say, that's not a discussion that I'm open to sharing with you. You can say that. You don't have to feel any kind of way. It's not a crime for you to shut somebody down, you know, respectively. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that. I Because I think that that is, people are so, so many of the clients I work with are so scared of like what they want to create the story in their head first of like, okay, so what am I doing? What do I say? Because of all the labeling and stuff, it just trips people up to feeling less than or feeling broken or all of these things. And I just say without excuse, but I know, like you said, that's not as easy right away for some people. Um, So we, I work with clients a lot of like, okay, what is this thing right now that's going to make you feel good? This kind of how you're defining your, you know, your journey right now. So a lot of times I'll say, um, I've changed, I'm changing my relationship with alcohol or, you know, I'm exploring my relationship with alcohol because I work with people that aren't always done obviously they're not done with drinking yet but um 
Yeah, that's amazing. What is it? Can you just tell us the name of your book and we'll make sure to put it in the show notes just so I don't forget. Sure. sure. So it's Alcohol Fiend Ooh. to Sobriety Queen. <laughs> 25 tips to putting down the bottle and picking up your crown. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I'm sure there's so many wonderful things in there. I can't wait. I'm getting a copy by my, by the way, um, well, these, as I mean, and tell me how you feel about this, the tools that you use to get alcohol out of your life. I mean, do they not flow and use, do you not use them to solve other problems and to do? Absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just like a theme that runs. That's what I love about my book. It's not just, you can't, you don't just have to use that for sobriety. It's really a book of empowerment too. It's, it's building you up, um, but it definitely does go into you know how to get alcohol out your life, but so that you can become that generational uh, curse breaker, if you will. Right? That's that's yes. the premise of the book. Yes, I love that, and I think that is such a huge piece. Something that I know for me personally was like being that gener I love that that, yeah. that term, the generational curse breaker. Yeah. You it's really be. a tool to use too. Like mm -hmm. it stops with me. Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, like, I think that was the biggest thing. Listen, my mother had five siblings and everyone passed away as a result of alcohol abuse, use and dependency, except one that was murdered. Mm -hmm. And I think because we all most of us have grown up in environments where this is what we've seen. We've become, it become like normalized and that is not acceptable. I had to make a choice. I don't have any children. I have a fur baby and chancy poo. And, um, I had to make a choice to say, is this the way I want my little cousins to see life as, you know, as being alcohol or alcoholics or seeing your life just degraded and not being purpose, not living purpose. Is this what you want? You know, my mom was an amazing mother. I mean, she taught me great things. I will never, ever take that from her. But I also got to see alcohol being used in our home and being abused in our home. And that's the part that has attacked us. My dad, um, he is also struggling with drug addiction. And I've never seen him sober. But I pour into my dad like it's nobody's business, honey. I address him as a king. I remind him of who God says he is. He is the head. He's not the tail. He's above. He's not beneath, right? God has a purpose for your life. And I think that, listen, as we are even in this life, right, we, we're so caught up in what we've done. And, and I was there. I got it. Remember, I sat on my in my bed and drank for hours looking at pornography and literally just every negative thought that I could think of, right? Mm -hmm. I would... One, I would, on one hand, I would say, I want to speak to women around the world, but it would always be that lingering negative thought saying, how are you going to do that? Please, you, you watch porn or you, you, you know, you just was out at the club and who's going to listen to you? So those are the thoughts that, you know, stay with us. And I'm saying to you, you got to find a way to drown out that noise. You got to understand that God used so many people in the Bible. I, I love the Bible because it's such a great tool and you don't have to love the Bible like I do. I mean, you know, that's, that's, I'm just expressing what I love, but there are great tools out here. There are great, you know, there's great information out here. And if you can replace the negative voice with a positive voice, that's what can help. Mm -hmm. Affirmations are also a great, you know, tool to have. 
because we've got to understand we hold so many thoughts in our minds and you know it's the ones that are repeated repeatedly said that are going to stay there the most so you have to do that work that takes it takes a lot but you can do it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and there you you've given us so many awesome tools already what do you think is the biggest um what do you think is like the biggest belief that shifted in for you, like from what you were drinking and like how you thought alcohol was an answer essentially to where you are now that you're just like, that was never true. What do you think one of the, a big shift of a belief was? I mean that I'm not, I'm not pain. I am purpose. You know, that my pain literally was what I needed to come into my life so that I could pursue my purpose. And I needed that to happen. Everything that has happened, you know, to me has happened for me. That that's what I had to understand. As I spoke about earlier, when I thought that I wasn't attractive and I had low self-esteem, now I'm able to talk about that to help, you know, many queens around the world because we all face that. So I I'd rather I thank God for being the guinea pig, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that's still that you build up every single day. I'm not here saying like you know every day that I you know, think that I'm amazing. Some days I don't feel that way, but I still have to verbalize it, right? I still have to yeah, yeah. either put my cute little lipstick on and my little earrings on or, and, and speak to myself. You know, I do daily rituals, you know, praying, reading my word. Um, I also do something with regards to educational. I work out. I'm a new vegan. So there's different things that I do in my life so I can maintain this way of living. I know that, you know, I was put on this earth to serve and I have to show up full. So I can't, you know, drop the ball or, you know, expect that, you know, God's going to bless me if I'm not doing my part, right? I've got to do my part so that I, I can understand that I am accountable to other people and not because I want to be seen, but because I want other women to know that they too have a part to play. When you're able to, you know, it's an honor to be in the seats that we're in. Again, not that we're just oh so grand, but at the end of the day, we have to be able to utilize the gifts that we have so that someone else can utilize their gifts. It's just a cycle. This, that's how this world can become a better place. And Lord knows at this point, we absolutely need it more so than ever before. Yeah, beautifully said. I love all of that. And I just encourage people so much. I mean, I know for me, if I'm not taking, you know, it's constant maintenance, right? Like yeah. you have the tools and they get a little bit easier to like, like, oh, I'm going, you know, my mind's going this way. Pull myself back, present moment, using yes. devotional tools, prayer, meditation, so important. Yes. But yes, you can't serve from an empty cup. And I think that's the way I always say, like, the peace, more peaceful people inside, the more peace exists in the world because we're not mm-hmm. taking from the other to fill, right? right. We're giving right. from an overabundance of love and joy. And then we don't need the recognition because we've already we've already had that queendom inside and yeah beautiful work honey I'm just it's so such an honor to talk to you um I wanted to talk a little bit about we I mentioned earlier about you know the stigma of alcohol dependency hopefully shifting a little bit we've seen a resurgence or not a resurgence we've seen kind of the surgeons of like sober you know the sober curious movement and sobriety and looking at it as like a cooler, more hip thing, but we know mm-hmm. you have to face the shadows to get there. Um, yeah. I was just wondering, you know, in my growing up, um, 
I remember my mom going to like some um, Al-Anon meetings um, and I was aware of alcoholism from, from a younger age. And so it wasn't super taboo, but it was also like, it's kind of happens to that person and not like it happened to everyone. What was your experience of what that looked like, um, you know, in a black, in the black community, as far as having, you know, exposure to elf, like sobriety, alcoholism, was that something talked about at all? Or did you? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. We didn't talk about that. That, That's not something you talk about. Like you always had someone in your family uh, or several people in your family that, you know, abused alcohol. And it was just like, oh, that's just aunt so-and-so, or that's just, you know, uncle so-and-so, or grandma just behaves that way because of, I can remember, and I shared this on another podcast, like I can remember when I was so I'm good at hiding uh, my abuse. Mm-hmm. So I drank a lot in the house and, you know, my friends were kind enough to not, not expose me when I behaved horribly in the streets. But I can remember passing liquor stores, seeing the same guys in front of the liquor stores and look, looking at them like, oh my God, you know, they look horrible. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, but now I can look back saying you were judging people. Meanwhile, that was you, you know, you weren't that far from that place, right? Granted, you had your own place, you had a couple of degrees, but, you know, it's nothing but God's grace and mercy that didn't allow you to get to that place. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with why I give so much, why I talk so much and share so much, because I could have been that person. I really, really could have been that person. Any one of us could be. And um, as I said, we, it just really wasn't shared in our home. And I guess because, you know, our culture mostly is like, what happens in this house stays in this house. Mm-hmm. And so it's more of a secretive thing. But meanwhile, the secrets secrets hurt and secrets kill and they destroy. Mm-hmm. And so was I'll even go a step further, even with me sharing, you know, in the beginning, it was just like, do not discuss our mother. Do not. My sister was very adamant about that. And, you know, I had to find a way to, you know, maybe share more of me and then kind of pull her in because you can't tell one without the other. You just can't. It just is impossible. But um, then I just had to get past the, you know, like, listen, you're going to have your own view. And I understood why, because she's still struggling herself. You know, when you've gotten to the point where you're healed, you don't care what anybody has to say because you understand the power in sharing your healing process. So because she's not there yet, it's more like a defense mechanism, you know, you, you, I can remember another instance where when my mother was in a coma and um, we were in the hospital and the doctor came out, my sister being the oldest, you know, I want to be respectful and let her answer the questions that the doctors were asking of the doctor. And he said, does your mom drink? And I'm saying to myself, now this is the doctor. I already know he knows that answer. Like, what is he doing here? So yeah. I say, oh, there's a reason why he's doing this. And my sister, again, being in protective mode, and she goes, well, you know, sometimes. And I said, that's a lie. She drinks every single day. Mm-hmm. Now, that wasn't me being like malicious. That was me being honest. You're a doctor. I want you to help my mother. So right. whatever you have to know, I'm going to tell you. Right. Whereas she was just like being, again, in protective mode. Like, you know, I don't want to expose my mom. And, you know, and I had to later explain to her why she was doing that. And, um, you know, my mom was in a coma for several weeks and we really thought she wasn't going to make it then. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, my sister had a great idea, which I agree with, 
of taking a picture of my mom while she was in a coma. And it was, it was horrible. But we wanted her to see how she looked in a coma and how much we needed her here. So if she could, you know, go into a program or do whatever she needed to do to get the help that she needed, um, you know, we were willing to support her in that. And I remember my mom coming through and she just said, I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. And again, all of her siblings were, my mom buried all of her siblings mm -hmm. practically. Well, one died like within months of her death, but um, she just was tired. She said that she, she was like, I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you really can't just help someone who's tired. They've literally yeah. give, given up and we had to respect that. We had to respect that. Yeah. She had, sounds like she had suffered a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot. She I, she lost her mother at 19. Uh, she was pregnant with my sister at that time. And then I came like 18 months later. Um, she raised everybody. So, you know, she worked for 20 years, retired. Um, she 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 went through a lot. Mm -hmm. And that could be a hard life. If, and she, you know, my mom was born in 1950. It's a lot. She's seen a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things that they always say, like, you find out more so about your relatives when they pass. And right. I found out a lot. So I had mm -hmm. to understand that and respect, um, you know, her feelings. And it was hard because you want your you want your mom, your, your loved one here, but you also have to respect um, their wishes. And we had to learn to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, um, thank you for sharing that. I know that that is sometimes hard, you know, hard memories to talk about, but it sounds like you have a greater awareness now. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting what we'll do with alcohol, like how just not even sharing that story to our detriment, you know, like not you sharing right. story about your mother, but like talking to the doctor and it's like, right. what do we have to lose at this point? Exactly. Honestly, exactly. you know, um, did you, before you had your, you know, kind of your awakening around your relationship to alcohol, did you feel like there was support out there for you? Um, because I know like, this is why I'm like, so uh, like wanting to just coach everyone around alcohol, because I feel like they're either people don't know that there's support for them. It's not, you know, maybe AA or did you, did you even know of what support existed for you if you needed to seek help? Well, I knew that support was there. However, there wasn't support that looked like me. Right. right? It was yeah. an African-American black woman. Um, there was nobody that looked like me. And even, you know, even after, you know, when I started my journey, there was not a lot of black queens out there. Mm -hmm. And I can remember God saying, well, then become one. Mm -hmm. So that was the reason why I started sharing. But um, I also, again, I was like, if I'm going to tell my business to anybody, I'm going to tell it to God. I'm not going to sit in anybody's chair. I'm not going to. So it was a little bit of me being like, eh, you know, the whole, the whole stigma thing that was in my head. And um, I did go to an open meeting. I will say that. So I went to AA open meeting once, just kind of get a feel of it. I'm like, let me just see. Mm -hmm. And it was depressing as hell. <laughs> it was so depressing. I remember the room was dark and everybody was, they almost seemed robotic. And I was like, what is going on here? And I was like, no, this is a no. This is a no for me. So um, that that's what it was for me. I mean, obviously, they AA's done great work. I would never, I'm not really? being disrespectful by any means. That's not my intention. But I'm saying there's different methods to um sobriety and yeah. you've got to find what works for you um it takes some time but um i think you know try some try some things out you know if you're serious about it 
there's definitely a lot of support on social media. I talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that having support on social media is nice, but it cannot be your all in all, right? Mm -hmm. I've, I've actually had one client, um, well, I wouldn't say that. I had a, dis a discovery call with a, a potential client. And, you know, she chose to use one of the sober groups as her support. And unfortunately, and I'm saddened to share that, you know, so this particular group, they highlight the numbers of sobriety, the number of days. And um, mm -hmm. she started at one so many times. And and I'm, I'm saying this, trying to be very careful with my words, but I'm saying if, you, if you're using that as one in your only support system, you're this depending on who you are right it could definitely lessen your chances mm -hmm. of really strengthening your your journey mm -hmm. um i think there has to be a and i think you would agree there has to be a number of support systems right mm -hmm. uh, be it is your sponsor and then you still have the the, the membership if you will or, or a facebook group or um maybe you also have some other supports but i you can never get enough you can never get enough so i think that me personally, I think that, you know, having a number of systems in place would be your best, your best choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you, um, so yeah, when you, co when you're coaching people, you're working, are you working specifically on sobriety with your clients? Or are you just getting them into their queendom and kingdom? A little bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both. I mean, it is, that is the same thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I mean, you, you want to address what the, you know, what, what's the underlying issue, right? Because everybody's underlying issue is going to be different. And then, yeah, you're rebuilding from, from the inside out. So absolutely. It's not just putting down the bottle. It's not. If you think that's just, please, that's, that's, please, that's the easiest part. I think people yeah. think like that's the hardest. It's actually the easiest part. Yeah. I, I always say, one of my things I say is taking your last sip isn't the first step because there's so much of like the shifting of awareness, like you don't solve just for the action. You got to solve for yes. the heart. And so um, one of the things I like to, to ask is, and if you kind of talked about it, like going into this, you know, dark room of the AA meeting. And I, I don't ever judge anything that works for people ever. I am like, I am in judgment free zone. You know, however you get there is how you get there. But there is that deprivation piece of it where instead of, like, you know, instead of yes, yes, me, yes, spirit, yes, life. It's like, why can't I? And so how do you like to, how does Queen Connie like to throw a better party now without booze around? I do a lot of self-care. You know, yeah. I enjoy my own company and I did not, I did not enjoy my own company. That's why I needed to be in certain environments. I needed to have, I was the girl who, you know, when I had, when I lived in Brooklyn, I remember, and I told this story a couple of times, that I would invite my friends to come over and they could bring strangers with them. Like, it was so crazy. I was just, oh, wow, I was just out there. And so, because I didn't enjoy my own company, the more the merrier was my thought process. Right. So, now for me, I, you know, I, when I give out my, when I send out my books and people order my books, I'm kind of giving a little bit of my secret away. But I put rose petals inside my books. Why? Because I know it's a girly girl thing and I know somebody would like it. 
um, it's an additional surprise. So I like to do pampering things. So bubble baths, I like to go for walks, you know, um, I like to go out to eat a lot and I'm very girly. So those are things that I just like to do for myself. I love on me. I enjoy me. Um, understanding that if I don't, if I don't get to that space of enjoying me, how can I even, you know, appreciate my future king? How, how can I teach another queen how to love on herself? So that that's what it is for me. Understanding that I'm worth it. You know, I'm worth it no matter what. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Ritual was a big piece of my um, sober journey, just like tuning into those sake, make it everything a sacred moment and a special yeah. moment where I was connecting, like this moment is the only moment and it matters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did want to ask you just one more thing a little bit about, well, I want to get to make sure we know how to find you and work with you and everything. But um, as far as support in, you know, the sober community, and I mean, even the work I'm doing, and we have access to you now, but um, you know, we're in, we're in this world right now where, where we're talking, there's like, obviously this, the Black Lives Matter movement is huge mm -hmm. and people are really coming out and they're saying, you know, what I wasn't aware of, I want to be aware of, and I want to, and I want to support and we want to make changes because we, I don't know. I mean, I personally want the world to be the best place for everyone. Right. right. Um, what do you think could be more, could be something where like sobriety programs or coaching programs could that where they're, they could be more inclusive. Um, is there any way that you feel like you could, people could just support and extend a wider lens for making sure that black communities and, you know, marginalized populations are receiving the same support or something that you just think is overlooked? I mean, it's so interesting you said this because I've, I've spoken at conferences as a keynote speaker and has been the only black woman there. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are even aware enough that, you know, you have a panel. Well, in my case, I was a black woman, but like, who are you targeting? Right. Mm -hmm. Understand that there are many races, many ethnicities that need this service that want to get healed. So how are you? what's what's the idea when you're planning this like what is the thought process in that mm -hmm. um and it baffles me it baffles me before COVID-19 I was researching um because I wanted to do some more speaking engagements and I was researching uh sobriety conferences and I came across one in particular and three women who I will not share their names but I'm very familiar with them and um three white women and I was just taken I was taken aback, like, how is it that you have three white women talking that that's not relatable to the other ethnicities? I'm sorry. Right. And I'm just like, the thought is not put into it enough. Yep. I just think like some people are just, they may be coming from a good place as far as like they want to get the message out, but you're limiting who you want to get the message to. Right. And you cannot think like that. Yeah. Um, if it's a case where you're not educated enough on black black audience because maybe that's the case you don't know well then get educated yeah. get educated educate yourself you know a lot of people have definitely and i'm so i'm so thankful that people have literally um you know made necessary steps and said that you know black lives do matter right and they have shared um my information and other queens information um so that we can get in front of other audiences 
right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we just have to kind of share our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are others who, who've done nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's, that's just so not good. It mm-hmm. leaves me personally, it leaves me in a space of saying, well, what is your real intention? Mm-hmm. Who are you really helping? And who do you really want to show up as? Mm-hmm. Um, and it leaves some of us wondering, you know, it, it just, it makes us, me, I'll just say me, it makes me more aware of saying who I want to work with and yeah. why, right? Because I'm watching, I'm, I'm literally watching. Yeah. Um, and I, I, now I'm just, if I don't see that you're not in this to reach all races, inclu- including a lot of black lives, um, nine out of 10, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no that you and I will not work together because I, I can't see your intentions to really want to understand more deeply that, you know, that there's no separation when it comes here. We've got to come together. If we are literally about helping kings and queens repair their lives, then it shouldn't matter what color you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should definitely still want everyone to get this, right? Um I could say so much more, but I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it right there because it's a very, very sensitive topic. But yeah. again, um, I'm very, I'm very cautious. I did see uh, a separation. I saw it for a very long time and it bothered me. It bothered me to the point that I felt like, you know, I know a lot of black queens and we were just going to come together and do our own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sad, but we, I felt like we had no choice. We had no choice. Uh, Dawn Nichols, she's the owner. She and her daughter, um, uh, she recovers. I absolutely love them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love them. And why? Because we've had a conversation about this prior to Black Lives Matter, prior Mm -hmm. to that. She's she's supported me and so, and not just me, she supported a lot of Black queens. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I first had my first event, um, when in life sober and it's an annual event celebration of sobriety I'm sorry I'm thinking of a program <laughs> um, celebration of sobriety an annual conference that I've, I've done she supported me in so many ways and we just knew each other from social media mm-hmm. I never met her awesome. and then she does like this um, she does this thing where she goes around from state to state and she has like these almost like meet and greets And, you know, she was, she came to New York and she called me up prior and said, I want you to come and speak. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that. And again, she did this prior to that. So it was from a genuine place. And I just think that people in this, we've got to be more aware. We've got to understand what the bigger picture is. We are helping individuals with their lives. We've been blessed enough, assigned enough from God. And, you know, it's not about us. Who am I? It's not about me. It's about the assignment that God has entrusted me. So yeah. that's what I would say. No, beautiful. Thank you so much for saying that. And I, you know, being that I feel like sober outreach is, has been limited to, to like AA, the small little group that mm-hmm. adds the, the movement of sobriety is mm-hmm. shifting and it's so unique unto the person that, um, you know, we know like diversity is unity because if we have all these different problems we're facing, we can't solve a diversity of problems with one perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if we're, if there's, if it's underrepresented by the global population and, you know, then how are we going to solve this 
plethora of problems with one perspective. We need perspective. We're just like doing a disservice to ourselves when everyone, every, you know, we have these amazing minds, like all of your offerings is just like, there's so many unique perspectives and so many unique solutions that it's just doing a disservice to humanity to not to be getting like the one perspective over and over and over again. So, um, yeah, I mean, when I started the podcast, I was, you know, like figuring out how to do it. And, um, now that I kind of shifted my perspective of like my, not for my perspective, but my platform of like really reaching out to talking about embodiment and some of the tools of um, how we can really like thrive and throw a better party as Kings and Queens in the world. I just want to hear what everyone's doing because I just knows who's, I don't know who's listening. And I just want to make sure that if you have that inkling inside of you that you know that you have this higher purpose to thrive. I right. want to make sure that you are feeling represented or some, you know, there's like this little nugget that like just resonates with you. And so, um, and I know that like representation for healing is huge. You know, if you, don't, you were saying, if you don't see someone that that looks like you or you're like, well, is, is that for me? I don't know. Right. I don't know. And you might not exactly. try it. So exactly. yeah. Thank you so much for saying all of that and um, just growing awareness. And I am just so grateful for your time here and you have like, thank your you. story is beautiful and it's a miracle. I mean, like, isn't it all like a miracle, right? I mean, we're it just is. Like, a miracle. It is. You know, I, I share a lot of my podcasts, as I'm sure you do. Um, and thank you again for this opportunity. It, it's it's really, it's a blessing. And, you know, I share, so I've been shot twice in my life. I've attempted suicide, um, you know, gotten a divorce. Those three things right there should have, along with abusing alcohol for 10 plus years, I should be dead. There's no way I should be alive. And, you know, again, there may be a listener that, you might have experienced some traumatic things, far more traumatic than what I did. Um, But I'm telling you that what God has for you, nothing trumps it. Nothing can stop it. Um, You know, those are just things that are going to even add more of a message to your story. You're even more, in my opinion, even more valuable to use by God. Um, and you've got to be able to tell that story. Frightening, I mean, no matter how frightening it may appear to be, because I'm sure it is, uh, you've got you to be able to do that. And one way you can do that is aligning yourself with the support that you need. Um, I guarantee you, if you do that, you align yourself with the right person, um, they're going to support you, to push you further. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll be able to do the work. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's the support is out there. And so speaking of that, how I tell um, our audience how to get a hold of you and the podcast and all of the good things where you, where you hang out and all of that stuff. Well, I hang out mostly on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, you're going to definitely see me on Instagram mostly. Um, You can see, you know, find me out on my, my podcast is Sober Sessions podcast. I talk about everything from God to rebuilding your life in sobriety. I talk a lot about my journey and where I've come from as a way to empower you to start your work. Um, my website, of course, www.conniesmcmillan.com. There's 
many resources there for my book, digital courses, membership is there as well, um, to a six-week course that I'll be actually uploading today to put up there. Um, there is just so many opportunities for you to get the support that you need. Um, you have to know that you have to invest in yourself, and that's not always monetarily, right? I think a lot of times, I know for me in the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the... Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some free resources out there, but when you invest in you, because that's what it's about, when you're paying for a service, you're investing in you. You're not investing in the person that you're paying. You are getting their, the, the knowledge and the information that they've already been through. Right. So don't let anything stop you. You know, um, don't have that closed-minded way of thinking, understanding that, you know, you deserve this. You deserve the life that you've been thinking about, speaking about, but yet, you know, not reaching forward. Um, let this 2020, this pandemic, let this be the shift in your life and saying that, you know, I'm going to come out greater. I'm not going to be the queen or the king that's going to go in or come out rather the way that I went in. You want to come out far more greater. And if you get the resources in your life, be it through mine or any others, um, I guarantee you, you will live your best life sober. Yeah, beautiful. I know. I always feel like when you make that shift and that commitment, that is just that message to your highest self that, yeah. yes, I am serious. I am worthy. And I just think like just picking up the phone sometimes yeah. to make that initial appointment is like, you say yes, there's no going back from that point, you know, even as scary as it is. But um, it's going to be a great 2020. I'm visualizing an amazing rest of the year. And that's what we have to do is like believe that the future is going to be better than the past, right? And just keep that in our prayers and in our thoughts and then show up to do the action. And that's right. That's the big part. <laughs> yes. It's true. And when you're sober, you, you've got way more energy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Connie, thank you so much for being here and all of your amazing knowledge and wisdom for our listeners. And I'm so thrilled to have to meet you and hopefully my pleasure. Okay. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. The process of unraveling your story outside of the confines of alcohol is truly a sacred and beautiful journey of the self. Rediscover who you are and a whole new world again. Stop by my website, marywagstaffcoach.com to get instant access to the on-demand workshop of my revolutionary five shifts approach. And while you're there, you can sign up for a one-on-one -on -one consultation where we will create together your life intention. This is the framework for which all of your decisions around alcohol are made from your truest and highest self. In addition to working remotely worldwide, I host private one-on-one -on -one healing retreats at my sanctuary in Mount Hood, Oregon. I can't wait to connect.